Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we're joined by the accomplished actor Chris Sarandon. We've seen Chris on Broadway, in movies, on television. Broadway credits including Nick and Nora, Two Gentlemen of Verona, uh, The Rothschilds, films including Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, Little Men, Fright Night, The Princess Bride, Child's Play, Osterman Weekend, and Dog Day Afternoon, an Academy Award nomination, numerous television credits. Chris, welcome to Downstage Center. Thank you. It's really wonderful to be here. You just a couple weeks ago went into the show The Light in the Piazza, playing Signor Naccarelli. I saw the show the other night. Si, si, Signor. You sound fluent in Italian. Do you speak Italian? I I speak not a word. (laughs) (laughs) I I speak Italian by rote only. I was with a person last night who is fluent in Italian, Mm -hmm. and after the show she said, Ask him if he speaks Italian. It is so authentic. He oh, sounds wow. so good. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm, th- I'm truly flattered. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a compliment. She lived in Italy for a number of years, wow. so she knows of what she speaks. Whoa. I'm impressed. How does it feel coming in now to a, a, a hit show that won six Tony Awards, and here you are? Uh, it's uh, a thrill beyond imagining. Um, I'm such a theater baby, as it were. I, I started out in repertory theater, I don't want to say how long ago, um, working at the Long Wharf in New Haven and the Hartford Stage and uh, the Shaw Festival in Canada. And so um, I don't want to use the word roots uh, in any other way other than it really is where my, um, my where I was planted when I first started in the theater or when I first started acting. And uh, I have, for a number of years, for the last 13 or 14, lived in Los Angeles. And while that was fruitful in many ways, uh, it was not particularly nourishing. And so this has really just sort of injected life into the old tree again, as it were. <laughs> they extend that metaphor sort of nauseatingly. How did it come about? I mean, we do know, and in fact, just spoke with a few weeks ago, your wife, Joanna Gleason, who's who's been in, on Broadway now for a while in mm-hmm. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Were you here with her and yes. just kind of kicking about saying, gee, it would be great if I could find something to do? Were you putting out feelers or did somebody just give you a call and, uh, and call your agent and say, what's he doing? Well, if you're an actor, you're always putting out feelers. I mean, <laughs> I tell a story, uh, of, I'm, I'm afraid, too often of uh, one of my daughters who's now 20 years old who when she was about five or six was sitting around with some friends uh, and uh, one of the friend's mothers who had been in charge was in charge of the kids was saying oh now let's talk about what our daddies do and um, she said to her own daughter you know what daddy does don't you and the little girl said yeah my daddy makes wires in houses and she says right daddy's an electrician she turned to my daughter and she said you know what your daddy does don't you and she says yes he looks for work (laughs) and that's essentially what the acting experience is for the most part which is you're always got feelers out there is no such thing as you know sitting back and taking it easy for a while and i think i'll just knock off for like six months you're always looking for the next job but surely you did you you came to new york with joanne yes you made the decision not to stay out in la correct you were here supporting her here for a while um, we brought our dogs. We brought uh, our life. The kids you force. left. The dogs came. No, no. The kids <laughs> actually were here already. And uh, yes, right. Uh, and uh, we came in December of '04, 
Uh, Joanna started rehearsals beginning of January. They opened uh, previous, I believe, middle of February, and uh, and they've been going strong ever since. And I was basically hanging around, walking dogs, cooking, shopping. I did a television a pilot for a television series that didn't sell, um, and was just at liberty, as they say. And then this came up. So when you got the call for this, had you seen the show yet? Uh, I had not seen the show. Uh, was asked to come, in, to come in and audition for uh, Bart Shear, the director, Bartlett Shear, for Adam Gettle, the composer-lyricist, and, and for Craig Lucas, the, uh, the writer of the book. Um, I said, you know, I don't want to put these guys through an audition if I'm not really interested in the show. And so I went to see the show and was just completely floored. Uh, I was thrilled beyond imagining, first of all, at the performances, uh, not first of all, at the show itself, which is an extraordinary, I think, extraordinary accomplishment. Visually, aesthetically, uh, it's beautifully directed, it's beautifully written, the music is to die for, uh, and I left just being completely captivated by it, and I thought, if I have a chance to be in the show, I'll, you know, this is like a chance of a lifetime, really. Uh, and I went in an audition for the, for the fellas. And they seemed pleased and happy. And then the next day I went back and read with Victoria Clark and uh, with Kelly O'Hara. And we sang together. And that was it. The next day they called me and said, you're on. Let's do it. Well, for those who have not seen the show, you played the father, the Italian father of the young gentleman, uh, Fabrizio, who falls in love with Kelly O'Hara's character, Clara. Right. And uh, you played in a very kind of a, a... a dignified, dashing Italian sort of a way. Uh, when you saw the show, did you visualize yourself up on stage doing that, or did you say, "God, have I got a lot to learn to speak Italian"? To well, I was very daunted by the possibility of having to learn to speak uh, entire scenes in Italian, mm-hmm. which this character does. Uh, and I was also somewhat daunted by the fact that the man who was performing it, Mart Harlett, was really quite wonderful. He was really terrific, and I thought. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to pr- repeat that performance, but certainly I have an idea of the way I can do it mm-hmm. uh, that will be different but will still fulfill the, the, the framework that the director and the, the writers had in mind and, uh, and went in with it, you know, went in to the audition with that kind of uh, thought process, and it's worked out great. Well, there was one scene last night where you and Fabrizio, played by um, Aaron Lazar, right. were standing talking. And I'm looking at the two of you thinking, these two guys really truly look like father and son. Ah, you have that's enough great. physical yeah. resemblance uh-huh. that it's very believable, father uh-huh. and son. It's Ironically, I have a stepson named Aaron. Do you really? Yeah. Joanna's son, uh, Aaron Gleason. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, when I first met Aaron Lazar, who was cast, I think, just about the same time I was, he went in about a week before I did just mm-hmm. to avoid the complication of putting two people in at the same time, I believe. And uh, I, I, we really hit it off immediately. He's a he's a, a, a sterling young man. He's really a great guy and a, a, a real mensch. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can call a guy that young a mensch, I guess you can. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Um, uh, lovely guy and with an, uh, just this startlingly beautiful singing voice. And then you and Victoria Clark together looked very you know compatible in the sense of being yeah. two parents right. getting to know each other and all that. Right, right. And there's a little bit of you know, a little chemistry. sexual tension there yeah, as well, yeah, there which is, is kind of yeah. nice in the play. Yeah. Uh, so it's a great part. Well, we always ask people when they've come into a role, how much time did you have to prepare for the part? Luckily, uh, I had about three weeks, uh, three weeks of rehearsal, and uh, about a week before that to just start, you know, I basically I said, get me on the phone with this, the Italian tutor. 
right away because that's the thing that scares me the most is going through these scenes and just rattling off in a language that I have absolutely no clue clue about. I speak a little French, not a lot, so I have a little bit of a background in the Romance languages, but Italian is very different. The verb forms are different. The combination of of the way pronouns are included in verbs, it's it's complex. And so um, they put me together with this guy on the phone, and he and I talked. He was out of town. We talked for about an hour and a half one day, and basically he just talked me through every sentence in the script. So you learned Italian over the phone? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and then he made a recording that kind of uh, cemented the the pronunciation for me. I made notes all the way through. And the you phone just listened to that. Over I and listened over. to the recording over and over again. And then he and I got together once, and we talked through it after mm. I had worked on it for a while. And essentially, after the first session, he said, "You don't need me anymore," which I was quite flattered by. Well, you, you, uh, you, I know. It's, it, 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 I've always had a facility for accents and dialects. And I think that probably helped me. I was going to say you have, must have a very good ear for yeah. language then. And also I'm, I, my first language when I was very, very young was Greek. Oh. So now it's not a romance language, but I do have a natural rolled R, for instance, which a lot of people have trouble with. Uh-huh. Uh, and there are other sounds that are similar. Some of the vowel sounds are very similar. <laughs> um, and so uh, it was not a, a major problem uh, once I got into it and basically just learned it by rote. Was was Greek spoken at home when you were? Yes, around? that was my 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 parents are uh, my father was an immigrant who came to this country and my mother uh, mother's parents came here and they were both native Greek speakers. That is, they were not English speakers when they were raised. So when I was growing up uh, until I was about five or six years old, and I must say to my everlasting shame, refused to speak anymore because we lived in a very small town uh, with no Greeks in in West Virginia. In West Virginia, right? So uh, I, I spoke when I was very young, and now. Uh, it's it's somewhere up in the neurons, but I haven't been able to retrieve it. If I recall correctly, when your wife, Joanna Gleason, was here a couple of weeks ago, she said you went to see Late in the Piazza like three or four times to get a feel for it. Oh, I've seen it more than that. Yeah, sitting in the audience seeing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen it probably ten times, maybe really? four or five times uh, in the audience and then like six times in the booth. Well, she was here about four weeks ago. It was just about the time right. you probably yeah, seen exactly. it for the first three yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen it more yeah. since then. Is, is there a danger of becoming too familiar with the way the actor doing the role at that point was doing it? The answer is yes, and one of the reasons why I cut myself off after about watching it for a couple of weeks, then I stopped watching. Uh, it was more for a, from a logistical standpoint of knowing where I had to be uh, I actually followed Mark Herlick around backstage a couple of performances just to watch his entrances and exits. Uh, he has a couple of quick changes. There are things that you don't really think about when you're out front watching mm-hmm. that you have to pay attention to. Uh, pr- props. Um, he smokes throughout the production because it's very Italian and mm-hmm. 1950s. So uh, I had to figure out when I wanted to do it as opposed to when he did it, uh, what made sense. Um, hats. Um, cigarette lighters. It's uh, sort of. It seems kind of dauntingly complicated when you're when you first start looking at it, and then after a while, and you break it down, it's it's easier. And also, maybe because there was an Italian gentleman in the fifties, uh, motions were different then. Lighting the lady's cigarette, that kind of yes. thing. Yes, you know, things are not done. And there's Ta- also a different way of using your body as yeah. an Italian than there is than Americans do, which is why. It was probably more helpful for me to have come through being a, from a Greek background because the Greeks are much more expressive physically with their hands. And also at one point tying, tying Fabrizio's necktie from behind, <laughs> having to learn to do that on somebody else. <laughs> Not easy. Not easy. Especially with a guy who's as tall as Aaron is <laughs> and as wide. Uh-huh. He's a very uh, powerfully Brush. built young man. Quite shouldered. Yeah.
it's worth noting that this is not the first time you've succeeded another actor in a role in a Broadway right. musical. You you had this experience now some 30 years ago succeeding Raul Julia oh, in uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona. Was it that long ago? Yes, I, I'm, I'm afraid sorry. It was. I, I, I hate to I have my facts revival. right. That's all right. Well, well, I wanted to ask you that as well, but just when you go into a role, how much freedom do you feel you have as an actor? I mean, you're, some of the things you're talking about are the mechanical things, hitting right. your mark, making your change, getting the hat, and how much do you feel you have to to be creative in the part? It's interesting because in this particular production, the production is very finely tuned in terms of its direction. Um, Bartshire has very specific ideas about the rhythms of the play, uh, and they've been working on it for a long time. So uh, as I said to him on the phone, I said, you know, when we first spoke, uh, after I was cast, I said, look, I'm not looking to invent the, reinvent the wheel here, but I do want to feel like I have freedom to, to play this character in, in my way. And he said, absolutely, absolutely. That's what we're looking for. That's why we cast you. Um, but at the same time, the play and the production have a very particular rhythm to it, to, to them. Uh, and so one has to fulfill that. But at the same time, he's given me great freedom in terms of the way I I want to play particular scenes. There's a particular scene that I play with Victoria in the second act that's a major sort of confrontation scene. And uh, uh, within the confines of the basic rhythm of the scene, he basically gave me free reign as to how I want to play. He said, You're, find it. Just find it. But also, she's been doing the show since before the beginning. She's been, so in she's in been it there for all almost along. three years. Right. right. So she has her own rhythm, her own style, uh, own things that she does. How do you then have to fit your actions into what she and all the other cast members are doing? What's wonderful about this cast is that the, it, their allegiance is to the play and to the production. And whatever it takes to um, uh, fulfill that mm -hmm. is what's important to them. And if a new actor comes in, it means also adapting to the actor. And there has I've never felt coming into the show and working with the actors in it that I had to in some way fulfill anything that they had predisposed. Um, there are moments that are very important for them that I've said, look, I know you need this, so tell me, you know, what's the best timing for this particular exchange? Uh, or w w do we need a look here? There are a lot of there's a lot of family interaction in the play, particularly in the Naccarelli family, uh, between uh, one of the sons Giuseppe and and Fabrizio and the mother and the daughter-in-law Franca, and these actors have been working together and they're like a, a, it's a very finely tuned team, and so when you're injected into it, there on the one hand you have to allow for the possibility they might be thrown, but on the other hand they have been nothing but open-armed, welcoming, and saying, you know, let's figure this out together. Mm. And it's a, 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 an extraordinary experience to, to be able to go into an experience uh, to a show like this and to work with those actors and, and to have them be so open. Victoria has been nothing but, you know, let's, you know, come in and we'll, we'll run lines and we'll figure this out together. It's not about here's what I need. It's mm. about this is what the scene's about and let's, let's work on it together. Well, that has to make you feel very good and very warm both as an actor but also as a person that these people oh, in the cast it, are willing to do that with you. It's been an extraordinary experience. Wow. It's interesting to me that you are somebody who is so familiar from your film and television work, none of which seems to indicate your musical comedy background. And mm. we've, we've mentioned already uh, 
Two Gentlemen of Verona, and in John's intro, he mentioned, of course, as well, Nick and Nora and the Rothschilds. It's come up in major productions a few times through your career. Is there more of it that, that we're not as familiar with, or is it just something you haven't been able to get as many opportunities to go at because you are certainly a Broadway-leading man? Uh, I think what happened was that in, when I was relatively young, uh, I got a film role that got a lot of exposure. Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. yeah, and I got a nomination for it and immediately just started working in movies. And so I worked on, you know, probably five or six movies in a row right after that. Uh, and then I was um, uh, working also in television. I did a bunch of Hallmark Hall of Fames. And, you know, I was working sort of very steadily. And there just wasn't the opportunity to come back and do theater. And then after a while, what happens is uh, I had three kids, uh, a mortgage, uh, <laughs> some of the, some of the real life. That's facts right. Of life. life intrudes, yeah. and I, I could no longer afford to say, you know what? I'll just wait for the white right thing, uh, and then, um, and I won't go into the gory details. I got into some financial trouble, and ended up having to to basically grind some stuff out mm. just to take care of the financial problems. And by the time that was over, um, I was kind of you know on the other end of it. And uh, was deeply immersed in doing television and films. So let's jump back because you brought up very quickly in the interview your um, your origins, and you were talking about Hartford Stage and, right. and Long Wharf. And as I saw, you toured in a classical company when you were very young. When I was in uh, graduate school, mm -hmm. uh, I went to uh, got my master's at Catholic University, which at the time had a very famous and still does has a very well known classical touring company. It was one of the reasons why I wanted to go there. And so between my first and second year of my master's study, I uh, went on tour for a year in bus and truck. We did the, you know, we did the light. I was the lighting director and played Romeo and played Cleant in the, in the Miser. Um, we had a truck, two station wagons. Uh, I was one of the truck drivers. We'd, you know, we'd have help and we'd get wherever we were going. We played high schools, colleges, uh, 36 states, something like 30,000 miles in eight months of playing one-nighters, doing wow. Romeo and Juliet and uh, The Misanthrope, uh, Moliere. Uh, 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 an experience that I wouldn't ever do again. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a time but, and place for everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what a great training ground. You know, Not only from the standpoint of learning uh, uh, about acting and how to, that you've got to do it every night. Uh, and how to do it every night, uh, but also a learning about the theater and uh, about what theater artists have to do in order to get shows up. Um, and in fact, my master's thesis was the, one of the requirements was if you got a performing an MFA was that you had to stage manage two shows, which was also a great experience because you see it from the other side and you have to do the lighting plots and the prop plots and the costume plots and, uh, and uh, uh, you have to run a show. And so you understand what it takes to really do this stuff, and it's considerable. So when you came out of college, then, what was your intention, to be an actor on stage or in film or yeah, television? Yeah, on stage. That Just was my live, only live ambition. Theater. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was in a time way back in the old days when, uh, uh, when actors came out of school, they didn't go to Hollywood. They came to New York. This is where you came. And uh, luckily, my first job uh, was for Arvin Brown at the Long Wharf when Arvin was just starting there. 
and he hired me as an intern. I was, you know, making $105 a week or something like so that. So we're in about 1968, 69 here. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and he uh, hired me to be a member of the company, and I was, you know, a, a pig in shit. Uh, I was doing Indian Wants the Bronx, and we did um, – what were the other plays of that season? Under Milkwood, and we did uh, – you know, the, the palette was just so broad. Um, and then I worked at Hartford and did, you know, Moliere and did uh, uh, Jimmy Porter and did – you name it. Uh, and and in between, summer stock. And uh, it was a, a, a very broad kind of palette that I was exposed to in the beginning. And then the big stage break here in New York would have been Rothschilds. The Rothschilds, right, the original uh, production of the Rothschilds. Being all three of the generally accepted mediums, not including radio, uh, film, television, and, of course, theater, Right. any preference one over the other? No, not really. Uh, right now, I'm a big theater fan. <laughs> <laughs> for, because, for the, for the run all, of the show. <laughs> and also, there's nothing like the rush of being on stage in front of an audience. And that interaction and that uh, the, the symbiotic kind of relationship that occurs between an audience and actors on stage. And hearing that, that doesn't re- occur on film. And getting, on film. Getting, getting that instant feedback from the audience. Immediately. Yeah. You know where you stand. Also, I want to ask you this. This is something which I hadn't planned to ask you, but after seeing last night's performance, you know exactly what I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, for our audience, something occurred during the show that doesn't usually happen oh, at a show. There was a medical emergency. Right. Very near the end of the first act, about two minutes before the end of the act, right. a woman in the audience called out for help. Right. And Aaron Lazar realized that it was a real emergency, mm-hmm. so he came out of character and literally stopped the show right. and said, is there a doctor in the house? Can I have the house lights? And about 20 or so medical people rushed over to help this poor woman who, it turns out, uh, was having some sort of a mild attack, and she was fine afterwards. Uh, and EMTs took her out, so it was a happy ending. Right. I have to say that. Um, but the show stopped for about 20 minutes right at a very climactic moment mm-hmm. at the end of the first act. Yeah, right. What does that do to an actor when you're in mid-stride in the middle of the show? It doesn't affect an actor at all because you're used to stopping and starting for rehearsals uh-huh. uh, anyway, and you have to sort of get up to speed right away. It's more what happens to the audience. Uh-huh. Uh, getting them back. Uh, and in this case, actually a cast member had the brilliant idea of uh, Victoria Clark has a very funny line that in the play, uh, you know, in the context of the play is funny, but in the context of last night was hysterical. And so the cast member said, why don't you start mm-hmm. back at that line? Yeah. And she did. And it was cathartic. Well, I actually the called, audience really laughed, yeah. laughed out that kind of tension, and yeah. then we had him back. I, I actually called her today to get the exact line. <laughs> <laughs> it's at the scene where she is exiting the, the stage, right? Uh, and she delivers the line. For nights like this, hotel bars were specifically developed. That's right. It brought the house down it's completely. Down. She couldn't a, even finish the line, and right. they had heard it earlier. Right. They'd heard it a couple right. of minutes. So they knew yeah, once yeah. she started it what was coming, and they just she got yeah. as far as for nights like this, hotel bars. And the, the audience, audience cracked went. up yeah. when they finished laughing about it. A minute later, she said, "We're specifically developed," and she walked she off. She walked off, and right. it really lightened the mood because the, uh, the audience was, yeah, was very tense. Yeah. yeah, there was yeah. a tremendous amount. Did it have any effect on other cast members? You think maybe? This is my perception. When they came back out and Kelly O'Hara had to finish the scene, she seemed a bit shaken still because she was out on stage when this happened. Right. And the stage manager, the assistant stage manager, came out, took her and Aaron off stage very quickly. Right. 
And so maybe it's just my perception reading something into it, but it seemed like an upsetting uh, moment. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to Kelly yeah, since yeah. then, so I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But the show finished very well. The audience had a great time. So yeah. all's, end, all, all's well that ends well. Correct. I don't want to lose the thread about asking you about some of your earlier work be- sure. before we go too far off. One that I was curious about uh, is an early John Guerra play, Marco Polo Sings a Solo, Ooh, with yeah. an extraordinary cast. Oh, man, this was at uh, The Public Correct. Uh, in the mid-'70s. Joel Gray, Ann Jackson, Sigourney Weaver, and Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn, in a, uh, uh, Larry Brigman. Um, you said Ann Jackson, correct? Yeah. yeah. But that's that's a famously sprawling John Guerra play. Oh, what yeah. was Crazy what was play. it like being in on the creation of that one? It was a famously sprawling rehearsal period as well. We were we rehearsed. I it, I mean I tell the story often of of our rehearsal uh, process on that play because John, who's extraordinarily prolific, and would show up at rehearsals with ten, fifteen, twenty pages every day. And so the pages would be collated and put in, and by the end of the first month of rehearsal, the stage manager would say, all right, now if you check buff number 13 and vermilion number 8, that is pages are color-coded so you know when they're coming in and what the date is on the page. So they'd run out of colors, but there were so many pages flying. So finally, we froze the first act. And my recollection of this, and uh, John's may be different, but my recollection of this is that we froze the first act in order to run it because we'd been rehearsing for some time and hadn't really run the whole first act because there were so many changes. And so um, we finished running the first act for Joe Papp, Mel Shapiro, the director, and John. And there in the back of the house, we finished running the act, and then we're done, and we're all looking at each other like, okay waiting for the other shoe to drop. And we can hear the in the back of the house, John and Joe and Mel talking. Silence. And we're thinking, oh, God, we must have really stunk up the joint. And Mel Shapiro walks down to the front of the house and says, well... We've decided to cut the first 30 pages. <laughs> we all went into shock. After all that. Anaphylactic shock because we were, you know, we were all so, so much was, was, uh, was uh, uh, you know, we'd had so much riding on this, this finally getting the first act. Uh, but it was a real, real sort of extraordinary experience in that way because the actors were all kind of, we were all um, uh, very into each other. It was a great group of people. We had a lot of fun doing the show. Uh, the critical reception was mixed, but it was a great experience. And at the same time, roughly in the and same getting period, to know John too, which and was in great. the same period, you were working at the public in an early David Mamet play, right? The, the certainly somewhat diametrically opposed two characters, you and Christine Lottie, right. directed by Lou Grossbard. Right. And this was before Mamet had really broken out. He right. was probably still he wasn't was in Chicago script, playwright. Certainly, yeah. Uh, I don't know if he was. Particular, I think. Um, um, what was the play that was such a big hit here? Perversity is in the sexual title? perversity. Sexual in Chicago. Per- in Chicago, right? That had been a big hit for David, uh, and I believe in New York as well. Mm-hmm. So he was on the map, but he certainly wasn't a movie director. He hadn't become a, a, a screenwriter, um, and uh, this was a, a tough play, a very difficult play about a relationship that was breaking up. Two people, two hander, uh, the couple. Um, are have decided to go off for the weekend together into this cabin in the woods, 
and work out their problems. And a uh, very difficult, difficult play to do and, and uh, with some mixed su- success. I don't know that the play has ever had a really successful production. I'd love to see it again, in fact. Well, before we move off completely, I'm now with a flourish going to share with you some of your earlier stage work that I got to see a number of years ago. Oh, my The opportunity God. to see you... In not quite in rep, but with the same company right. appearing in Henry IV Part One, in which you were Prince Hal, and Hamlet, in which you played Laertes, right. and it's worth noting that you were essentially trading the leading role between these because Hotspur in Henry IV Part One was Chris Walken, right. who played Hamlet in a subsequent production, right. in a kind of troupe that you don't see. Anymore. Well, you don't see a troupe like this. <laughs> certainly, it was uh, Walken and me. Uh, Steve Lang, Stephen Lang, uh, Ann Baxter, who played Gertrude, and Fred Gwynn, who played um, uh, who played Claudius, and um, I can't remember who he played in. I'm not sure Henry. who he was in. Michael Allison played and Roy uh, Henry IV and Roy Dotrice. Roy Dotrice, yep. who played Polonius and played uh, Falstaff. So it was a rather stellar group. And I don't think we said very, this was at the old American Shakespeare Theater correct. in Stratford, Connecticut. I, I like to say that we closed the joint. <laughs> with these two productions. Uh, Not uh, quite, but it was close. Right, right, right. And what you also didn't say was that uh, the radio audience couldn't see what Howard just did. He handed Chris uh, two uh, booklets, you know, the, uh, the programs. The programs, programs. And you also couldn't see my eyes sort of bulge out of my <laughs> right. head because I've never seen This is amazing. I, I <laughs> saved this for effect. This Boy, is, sure this is why us theater fans save playbills and programs wow. from every show we've ever seen. And I'm also looking at some of the people in the cast who are old friends and people that I've known for a year. I went to school with this guy, Chet Carlin. Uh, we were on tour together. So, you know. Well, what's fascinating about it, it, it dawns wow. on me, you know, as we're talking and in so many of the conversations we have here, you know, how many actors go back to the public in that heyday and right. how many times Joe Papp's name comes up. I played Joe in a satire that we did at the Delacorte one night for his birthday. Meryl Streep played uh, his wife and I played Joe with a big cigar and, you know, a kind of, uh, you know, I played the Joe who was a real character, was an amazing, amazing fellow. So, yeah, we go back. A few, don't but, we? But the interconnectedness of, of the people Absolutely. in theater and yep. how you yep. find your way through is is, is always fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and and your roots in all of this theater that even as you've gone on into film and television, these connections still come back. And how – yeah, exactly. And how you end up working with a lot of the same people over the years. For instance, uh, the first year that I was at The Long Wharf, uh, Harvey Keitel was in the company. Uh, not in the company. I'm sorry. He was he was in the Indian Wants the Bronx with me. Um, uh, John Cazal was in the company that year, mm-hmm. uh, and John and I worked together again in, in Dog Day in Afternoon. Dog Day afternoon. Of um, I'm trying to think if there are any sort of returns, you know, sort of uh, circles that have been completed. I'm sure if I sat down and you know the six degrees of separation of Chris Sarandon, I'd come up with a few. <laughs> uh, but those are certainly, but certainly the John connection is one that stands out because he was such an extraordinary fellow and such a wonderful actor as well. Well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about uh, a little while ago that. The, the the jobs in your profession tend to be short term, just because of the nature of theater in right. general and film and television. Right, or, unless I, you're on a long location or you're right. in a long run of a yeah. play. I mean, if you were in uh, you know Phantom 
from the yes, beginning, right. you could have a nice long there are run. People who have been in it for wanted. 17, 18 years. Right. Yeah. But it's unlike you know people who work at large companies who might spend a whole career at one company. Right. When you're working in different shows, you get to know a lot of different people. And you create lots of different families. Yeah, is yeah. what you do. And the one thing that so many people have said to us is that, especially in New York, it really is family. The theater community is really family. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, you know, go out on tours and they work with people for a long time on tours. So you, you spend a lot of time with people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I have friends, uh, very close friends that I made when I first started here and that I'm still in touch with and, mm-hmm. and still uh, communicate with and still hang out with. And as you say, coming into a show like Light of the Piazza, you are joining a pre-existing family. Yes, yes. And that, that is a process. That's that probably the most daunting part of going into a new show. Which it's is, not learning you know, the part itself. Yeah, is, you know, will I fit in to the family? Right. And it's always the case. We, right. People always make you welcome. And speaking of family, both figuratively and in this case literally and friends, probably your closest friend is your wife, Joanna Gleason. She is indeed. You were both in Nick and Nora. Did you meet in that show? We didn't meet in the show we had met I think a, a year previously we did the workshop together mm-hmm. and we had met socially once prior to that um, and then so uh, it was about 1990 91 of that yeah, that era, yeah. right right but we've we've been together since 91 and then you got married in 94 right I just want to compare notes with what she told us about you but <laughs> <laughs> well, she was here four weeks ago yeah right what do you like to do for fun around the house we cook together we dance she said exactly the same thing yeah. Um, we, it's like uh, we're running our own version of the, the newlywed game right. and seeing if they both hold up the same, right. cards. the same cards. We hear you're very good at pasta. Uh, yeah, not bad. Not bad. And she said you have a very large kitchen and you dance in your kitchen. That's right. Our house in Los Angeles we do. Nobody yeah. has a big kitchen in, in New, New York, York City. Right. Well, I can just picture it. I can also say, Chris Sarandon, thank you so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.